Let's just start with verse 6 of John chapter 17. We find these words. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now, what folks often call, call the Lord's prayer is really the model prayer. This is Jesus' prayer right here. This is the Lord's prayer. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your house to share with Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, to uh, study your word, to sing your praises. Thank you for gifting your church body with everything we need. And Father, as we look at this scripture, I pray you'll calm our hearts and minds before you. That we will be still and know that you are God. I pray your word will go forth with strength to accomplish what you want it for. I pray the Holy Spirit will be able to move freely amongst here and we will be obedient. Father, I especially pray there are those here who have never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior. Will you convict them this very hour about their need to do that very thing? Then when we leave this place, Father, Give us the joy of our salvation, and let us tell others about you. In Christ's name, amen. I'll never forget uh, the first time I had what is called a quote-unquote bad deacons meeting. It started off okay, but I knew something was a little bit amiss. And to me, what put everything sour was really sort of innocent or maybe um, innocuous. It wasn't really threatening, I didn't think. But what I had proposed to the deacons was a simple plan. Lived in a small community, our first full-time church, and only had about 113 people in the town itself, and then a lot of folks in the surrounding area. And what I wanted to do was take one of the maps like the fire chief had, as I was a volunteer fireman at that time, and, 
And what I wanted to do was take that map, and it listed all the houses in the area. It even had the names of the people who lived there. And I wanted us to go start visiting the folks in our community and find out who was a Christian and who wasn't, to find out if they went to church where they went, to find out uh, some of our uh, brethren who had dropped out, we call them backslidden, just to see if we could minister to them and get them back in church. And after my presentation, I saw an angry face. One of my chief deacons, the chairman actually that year, shook his head and said these words that I'll never forget. Preacher. He never called me preacher before. He was always pastor. He said, why can't we just mind our own business? We have enough to take care of without offending folks and badgering them and bothering them. I don't see any need to do this at all. We'll get a bad name in the community. The first thing that popped in my mind, and it didn't come out of my mouth luckily, was we already have a bad name in the community and about not caring about anybody. But I didn't say it. If I was at my age now, I would have said it. And so I agreed with him on one point. We should mind our own business. But you see, I don't think the church is a business. The church is a spiritual organism founded by Jesus Christ. The church is not the buildings. The church is us who belong to Jesus. And we're either growing or dying according to how the Spirit works in our lives. And so we had to have a meeting of the minds. He was so mad at me for suggesting such a thing that he wouldn't even shake my hand in church for about a month until I decided I'd had all I was going to take and I was done being nice. And so I began to chase him around the church to corner him in the corner to make him shake my hand. When I stuck my hand out and finally got him in the corner, it was like, like trying to get a calf that didn't want to be in a spot. You know, he was dodging. I stuck my hand out there and I said, really, in front of God and everybody else here, you're not going to shake my hand. <sighs> By the time we left, he'd forgiven me and we were friends. But you see, we need to understand that as Christians, our enterprise is to tell others about Jesus. See, our enterprise, if you want to call it business, call it business. But our, our, our enterprise is to tell others about Jesus. And I'm going to add these words to the end of that sentence. As we do ministry. Amen. Because you and I are called to do ministry in the name of Jesus. Whether it's taking a cold, cup of cold water, visiting orphans and widows whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whether it's taking little kids and picking them up on the bus, whatever it is that God has gifted us with, that's our ministry. And you have one as surely as I have one. Some are called full-time, some are not. But we need to understand that in that ministry, we're to tell others about Jesus as we do that ministry. And so I wanted to look at two or three things about what Jesus had to say about that. In this passage, the first was in verses 6 through 12, and it's this, the place of our ministry, the place of our ministry. Uh, he says a lot here. Let's just read it again. 
it says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them. And known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. What Jesus is saying here starts off in the place of our ministry with a premise. Now, this won't startle you, but the premise is this. We all came from the world. You see, men and women, unless Jesus comes back, boys and girls are still born in this world and die in this world. We're from the world. But Jesus, when he reveals himself to us through the Holy Spirit, calls us out of the world. And see, men and women are called out. This world is not our home, but it is our place of ministry. And when we talk about ministry, let's remember something. Our world is an ever-changing world. What was fashionable 10 years ago or 100 years ago has totally changed. And if Jesus tarries, it'll change again. But we serve a God who is unchanging. We have a message that must never change. And the premise is, this place, wherever he has planted us, is the place where we are to do ministry. I'm going to meddle a little bit. It's free, that's what it's worth. As most things I say are. Hear me. If you're not ministering where God has gifted you to minister, you are sinning against God. Well, there should have been a lot more amens than that. You should have at least acted like you cared you were ministering as God called you to minister. Well, I'm not ready, Brother Gary. I need to sit, sit and just soak it up like a sponge. A sponge that's not wrung wrung out stinks. It sours. It's gross. It grows mold. Don't be a moldy Christian. That's the premise. But what's the possibility? Verse 7 through 9, he gives us that possibility. Talking about it, it says, we can know the one true God. We can know ultimate truth. Because Jesus said, I came into the world, you gave them to me out of the world, I've given them your word, and they received it. They kept it. They believed it. And the possibility is, we know the one true living God in Jesus Christ, 
And we know ultimate truth when we keep his words. What a possibility. Millions of people around our world are seeking for the truth, quotation marks. And we have it. And we're to tell them about him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth incarnate. What a possibility that of all the things in life that really matter come from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He went on to say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Those things that we chase in the world, Jesus isn't against. But first, priority is our relationship with him. And if we don't have a relationship with him, we're doomed. And he prays that prayer. It's his high priestly prayer. I'm praying for all those you've given me. I pray for them. I'm not in the world, but they're still going to be. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but you'll keep them from the evil one. (laughs) See, it's through his power that we are kept even as we do ministry. Through his power that we will not fail. Through his power we are kept. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 38. He said, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And we need to ask. Since it's Christ's power that keeps us, what are we afraid of when we want to tell others about him? We need to remember that the place of our ministry is right here where God has planted us. We're supposed to grow and bloom where he's planted instead of waiting and wilting and wondering when it's going to happen. We need to ask, are we doing that ministry? Unsaved people are not the enemy. They are the victims of the enemy. We need to remedy that situation. The second thing that I see is the principles of our ministry. The principles. In verses 13 through 16, he talks about the principles of our ministry. He says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of this world. Do we understand the principles? The principle starts with the word. It's the word that Jesus gave to them and gave to us. You see, that word is, there is one God, and we are not him. I want to say it again so you catch the impact of that. There is one God, and we are not him. 
So we shouldn't be sitting on the throne of our life making our own decisions, acting like we are God and we know everything and we know what's best and we'll do what we want to do. He is God, not us. The Word says there's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. He didn't say you can pick any road you want and you'll get there. That's sort of silly. But how many people try everything they can try except for Jesus, even though he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by or through me. Do we understand that? There's one word, there's one way, and there's us to be witnesses. We're called to be in the world but not of the world. In other words, let's think about what that means, Christians. If we're in the world but not of the world, the world hates us because we're not part of them. It means we're to be radically different than the rest of the world. (coughs) I've said it before. I want you to listen. It does not surprise me at all how lost people act. How are they supposed to act? They don't know Jesus. What puzzles me is how Christians act when we say we know Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. Some of us resemble that. We need to ask, what is our witness like? Do they see something different about us or do they just think, oh, he's just like us or she's just like me? Man, it should stick out like a sore thumb. Well, I don't want to be that way. Well, you better want to be that way because Jesus said that was your purpose, the reason he left you here. Not. Of the world, but in the world. Different. And the principles of ministry is we share the word, we tell them the way, and we witness by our living and by our ministry that we're a part of that. Then he gives us the purpose of our ministry. Look at verse 17. The purpose of our ministry. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Purpose of ministry. We are sanctified. Sanctified is one of them great big words. It means set aside for God's special purpose. You're sanctified when you're saved. You're set aside for God's special purpose. I don't want you to answer this, but how many of you? Are working on God's special purpose. How much am I working on God's special purpose? That's a question that I need to ask myself daily. Maybe you're not like me. I wake up in a new world. Elizabeth says I'm a goose. It's different every day. See, set aside for God's special purpose. Now, I'm going to tell you what I know God's special purpose is for every Christian. We are sent. We are sent to be his witnesses. And we witness. You see, so we evangelize. That's what Matthew 28 says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore into all the nations. Okay. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe whatever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're sent to evangelize, we're sent to baptize, and we're sent to Christianize. That means discipleship. 
But you'll remember Christianize because it's not really a word. <laughs> and yes, I know. It's not. But you see, that's the purpose. We're set aside for God's special purpose. But again, if you're set aside, I want you to think about it. If you're set aside for God's special purpose because you're sanctified in Jesus Christ by his words, that means you are equipped to do what he set you apart for. See, when you get to reading about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 11 or so, and go 12 specifically, and 13, you need to understand you were equipped because the Holy Spirit, when you were saved, decided what gift you needed, and he gave it because he knew the future. I think he'll add gifts to us. We get a little bit older and crankier. Maybe wiser. Some of us. We hope, yeah. He gives us other things to do. But he does not retire us till he takes us home. Amen. Don't use it. She's, well, I did my time. No, you're still in this place we call earth till we get to heaven and then you're set free. Amen. You see, it's sort of like this when you talk about being sanctified and set aside for God's purpose. Uh, Roger Storms, the pastor of the First Christian Church in Chandler, Arizona. He said one morning he was losing uh, people out of the sanctuary like crazy. He wondered what was going on. It seemed that there was a car that broke down in the little alleyway between the church and the business next to them. The guy had jacked his car up and was underneath there working on something. And the, car, the jack fell and, and he was having trouble breathing. A serious problem. Well, they had to hire security guards. The security guards saw him, went and got some more security guards. They got some nurses out there. And for know it, you know, about a tenth of the congregation was out there trying to get the car off. And the jack wouldn't work. And so they finally got the biggest guys they could. And somehow God gave them the power. And they lifted the car up enough and drug him out. And he was going, and he was okay. He said, well, what's the point of that story? Well, Roger Storms gave it. When this guy was in peril, people did all they could to help, risking themselves, inconveniencing themselves, doing whatever was necessary to save this man. How much more important it is for all of us to risk, to inconvenience ourselves, to save those who are lost by giving them the gospel and letting Jesus draw them them to him. Because they're in danger of losing their life, not just physically, but eternally. Then there's the power for our business. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive, after you have received power, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. See, Jesus gave us authority to conduct his ministry in his power. We don't have a right to argue what our ministry here on earth is. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's our ministry. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. Take it up with him. I'll quit saying it when you can prove me wrong biblically. And somebody say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Lots of people don't believe in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it's not true. 
you can't prove it's not true. I can prove it's right by looking at the smiling faces surrounding this congregation because they believed the word of God and accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and they have experienced changed lives and power through the Holy Spirit residing in them. You see, he told us we don't have an excuse that we'd receive power. You receive that when you're saved. The Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of you and I. We have no excuse. He didn't say, someday you'll witness for me. He said, you shall be my witnesses at home in Jerusalem, in the county, Judea, in the state, Samaria. To the most parts of the world, earth, America, and the rest of the world. Amen. Sometimes we forget that he promised that he'd be with us in all of that. And that we'd have power to do it. You may not be a, a baseball fan and you might not like Roger Clemens. He's always tied to some kind of steroid, doping, PD, whatever you want to call it. They couldn't prove it, but they couldn't disprove it. But on July 15, 1986, Clemens was playing for the right Boston Red Sox, and he was in his first All-Star game. Well, that year he did something he had never done. He had to get up to bat because the American League has that uh, designated hitter rule. And so he took a few uncertain swings in, in the on-deck circle, and then he got up, and he was facing the year before's Cy Young winner, Dwight Gooden. And he said that fastball came down through there, and he just stepped back. Whew, that was an awful look. And he looked down at Gary Carter, who was the catcher, and he says, is that what my pitches look like? He says, sure do. Well, he struck out real quick. But he pitched three perfect innings and was named the MVP of that game. He said what it did for him was to remind him how much a strong fastball intimidated matters. And with renewed vigor and courage, he threw it often. Sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is within us and how powerful our witness can be when we surrender to him. The gospel is supernatural Jesus saves people from their sins for all eternity. But he tells us to tell them. And gives us the power to do it. Are we doing that? Some here today need to commit to doing the Lord's ministry. Before you can, some of you can do that, you need to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Some need a church home. You've been visiting, visiting. We love you visiting. Don't go away. But it's, you know it's time to join by baptism or letter or statement. You need to come do that. Some need to come in rededication. Some have never told others about Jesus. The most awful statistic that they've done in the recent studies of Southern Baptists and other evangelicals who know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Him is that 90% of Christians will never share their faith. 
Don't be that 90%. Be a 10%er. Maybe God is calling you to use your giftedness. You haven't been. Don't know what your excuse is. You're responsible to God for that. But you need to recommit your giftedness to him today. We're going to pray and then we're going to stand. Brother Ronnie's going to sing. And I want you to come as you're supposed to come. As the Holy Spirit leads you. Let's pray. Father God. You're looking down. You know which ones have accepted you and which ones haven't. And I pray you'll convict those that haven't. They know. Their heart's beating fast right now. Their mouth is dry. There's a lump in their throat. They want to come up in front of everybody and have to admit they haven't done that yet. But, Lord, you're calling them even now. So give them courage to step out and come down that aisle. Some need to come in rededication. Some need to come for other reasons. But we are the sheep of your pasture. You are our God and King. Have your way with us and let Jesus be uplifted and glorified. For it's in his name I pray.